Welcome to the Grace of God Sermoncast, where we embark on a journey to explore the timeless wisdom of Scripture and its profound relevance to our lives today. I'm Scott Pierre, the media director here at Grace of God, and I'd like to introduce you into the message provided by our pastor, Timothy Walsh, where he bears a question at the very core of our faith. How can we offer genuine comfort? In today's episode, we focus on Isaiah 40 verses 1 through 11, which teaches the importance of going beyond simple gestures or distractions that we may provide to others. The ultimate message is this, people are like grass, the grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. We understand that through God's care and provision, it serves as notable signs of comfort in which he provides us with. As you share the burdens with those around you, speaking tenderly, truthfully, and offering of hope that transcends the temporary troubles of this world, remember this message. Life goes on, but God's word endures forever. Join me as we uncover the profound truths within scripture and reflect on the navigating challenges within our own lives. Friends, peace to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. How do you comfort someone? Do you sort of just offer physical presence and a hug, a pat on the back, kind of a there, there sort of thing? Do you share with them your own trials, troubles, struggles? Do you distract them, right? Just try and take their mind off what's going on. How do you comfort someone? As I was thinking about today's message, those three tactics, if you want to call them that, came to mind as ways that we might comfort someone. And there's nothing wrong with any of them, to be clear. Right? Sometimes there's nothing more that you can really do for someone than offer them your physical presence, giving them a hug. And that, that can bring some real comfort. Uh, sometimes it can bring comfort to share with someone your own experience going through a trial or a trouble. Right? I've been personally comforted in ministry by calling up a, a brother pastor and laying out something a situation, an issue, somebody I've been praying for, something going on in their life, and having him tell me, yeah, that's funny. Just dealt with that, you know, a couple months ago or last year. Similar situation, and it feels comforting to know that I'm not the only one dealing with something. I'm sure that's true for you too. And, and sometimes distraction offers some real comfort. It's why at a children's hospital, you might have something like a, a clown walking around doing magic tricks for the kids or athletes, celebrities, right, coming for the make-a-wish. A, a distraction, something to take their mind off what's going on at the moment. Nothing wrong with any of those. But there are times we want something more real than that, right? When maybe I don't want someone's presence, I'm kind of all peopled out. Or when I don't want to hear someone else's story about what happened in their lives. I, I'm just not interested at the moment. I, I don't want to be distracted. There are times that we just want our suffering, our trials, the circumstances that are bothering us to be over. It's really the most sort of profound form of comfort that you can receive. Having whatever's troubling you, causing you anguish and grief, be done having the circumstance that's rending your heart come to an end. That's the kind of comfort that God talks about in the reading that we looked at from the prophet Isaiah this morning. Or Isaiah 40, beginning at that first verse again, 
God says, comfort, comfort my people, right? Bring my people, God says, a message of comfort. And what does that message sort of consist in? God has a threefold comfort that he tells his prophet Isaiah to, to bring to his people. Their hard service has been completed, has been. Their sin, her sin, has been paid for. She has received from the Lord's hand, right? Talking about God's people altogether as like a, a person, one woman. She, they, has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Has been, has been, has. It's done. It's over. It's past. That's God's comfort for his people. It's not just distraction. It's not just presence. It's not sharing with his people a, a trouble that God himself went through, which how could God ever share such a thing with us? Instead, God simply says this, it's over, it's done, complete. That's the kind of comfort that God brings to his people and it's the kind of comfort that God's people, we, can get to bring to others. I want to explain sort of the, the context around this particular Bible selection that we're looking at this morning. What circumstance was it that caused God's people in this particular situation to need comfort? Why were these words of comfort? They're not general, right? We can apply them, of course, generally. We can hear this and apply it to our own lives. But this was written to comfort people at a particular time dealing with a particular situation as well. So, when Isaiah, the prophet, wrote this, he's a man who lived about 700 years before Jesus. He wrote this to the people of Judah. And I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of Bible history here this morning for you to help you understand where we're at. So, you've got Jesus, who lived about 2,000 years before us. About 1,200 years before Jesus, the people of Israel, the Israelites, came into the land that we now call Israel, that land over there in the Middle East. And they planted themselves there by God's blessing and became a kingdom, the kingdom of Israel under good King David. That was about 200 years before Isaiah, that David lived. By the time of Isaiah, the God's people didn't enjoy sort of the peace and the security that they had when David was their king. See, by the time that Isaiah lived, God's people were not a united kingdom anymore. They were, in fact, two separate kingdoms. They had split north and south in a civil war uh, a few decades after David's life. The north was a bigger nation. Uh, Ten of the twelve tribes of Israel broke off, and they kept calling themselves Israel, but their kings were not descended from David. Uh, the southern half called itself Judah, and they were probably the tribe, the, the nation that had the better claim to being sort of Israel. You can think of, at Isaiah's time, Israel as being sort of two estranged siblings. Right? They know what's going on in one another's lives. They're in contact with one another. They're talking to one another. But they're not seeing one another regularly. They're not under the same roof anymore. Israel and Judah. Israel and Judah had the same problem, however. Uh, they both struggled with worshiping idols. The kings of Israel, the kings of Judah, both at times promoted the worship of other gods, not just the true God, the God of Israel. But at times they promoted the worship of other gods. At times they suppressed the worship of the true God. This angered God. 
It hurt him. He was the one who had brought them into this land. He had given them this land. He had made them into this nation. He had blessed them. And they were rejecting him over and over again. Both Judah and Israel struggled with this. It was worse in Israel, though. Eventually, God had enough. And during Isaiah's life, the northern kingdom, Israel, the one that struggled worse with rejecting God, worshiping false gods, was conquered by the Assyrian Empire. And they were taken out of the land of Israel and scattered. And we have no idea, frankly, what happened ultimately to those 10 tribes. We don't know. There are ancient, ancient communities of Jewish people uh, throughout the ancient Near East, places like, or even the Middle East, uh, Far East, so China, India, Afghanistan, have ancient communities of Jews that claim to be descended from those 10 tribes, that these were the people that the Assyrians conquered and pushed out of Israel and had to resettle elsewhere. Uh, we don't know. We, we frankly have no idea what happened to these 10 tribes of Israel. This was a shocking moment for the people of Judah, the kingdom where Isaiah lived. Even if the other nation, even if Israel had been rejecting God, rebellious against God, still, those were Hebrews. They were Israelites. God had made a promise to that nation, to those people in particular. They were blood descendants of Abraham that Abraham's offspring would always live in that land. That he would be their God, that he would protect them and because of their sin, God had allowed them to be removed. It was jarring for the Judites to see Israel conquered and removed. I've already kind of compared Judah and Israel to estranged siblings. I want to keep using that metaphor a little bit. Let's imagine that of these two estranged, slightly estranged siblings, right? What They're aware of one another's lives. They know what's kind of going on. They're in contact every now and then, but they're not very close. Suddenly one dies. That's Israel. It's jarring, right, to have a sibling die on you like that and to maybe have been totally taken aback by it, to be blindsided. Incredibly jarring. That was the national tragedy for the people of Judah, that this sibling had died. What was the cause of death? Turns out it was a, a very aggressive, we'll say, throat cancer because Israel, the dead deceased sibling, had been a smoker all their life. Judah looks at that and realizes, I've been a smoker all my life too. At the smoking for Judah and Israel was worshiping other gods, idolatry. And Judah had, for a time, kicked the habit. Right? Under good king Hezekiah, who was the king when Israel was captured, they were not worshiping false gods. Hezekiah had, had promoted the worship of the true God and had torn down all the altars of other gods. Judah had kicked the smoking habit, but they had to start asking themselves a question. Is there cancer in there too? Is that going to take my life someday? See, Israel had worshipped other gods and they had done so worse than Judah at times, but when they were conquered, it was not as bad as Israel had ever been. And Judah at times was worse than Israel. When Isaiah wrote these words, Judah was wrestling with, you could say, a question of its own mortality. How long do we have? How merciful will God be with us? Will God allow us to continue living here? Have we doomed ourselves? There's a lot of Bible history. 
And I find Bible history interesting. Obviously, that's why I'm a pastor. I don't know if you find it as interesting as I do, though. Uh, and I should probably step back from all the Bible history stuff and ground this again, because I told you this was going to be a sermon about comforting people, about bringing people words of consolation and encouragement when they're hurting. Maybe even bringing, maybe you, you heard that and thought, I need that. I, I need words of consolation and encouragement. And as interesting and fun as I might find it to talk about Bible history, I think probably that's what we need to talk about. Because you can compare yourself to Judah, right? You can think about, sure, they're thinking about what's the future going to be like? How are things going to be? But I know that what you're really interested in hearing, and I know if I were sitting where you are, you'd really want to hear, what does that mean for me? How, how does that become a message of comfort and consolation for me? Because maybe you're dealing with something like Judah, right? Maybe you've had someone die recently, unexpectedly, shockingly, and you're wrestling with your own mortality. Or maybe it's not right so personal, but you've got someone that you're thinking of who you know you, you want to bring a message of comfort. So, someone that you know who's struggling, who's hurting, who's grieving, who's anxious. Right? Maybe someone who lost their job recently. Someone who is just watching too much news and is convinced that America is going to fall down around our ears at any moment and they're all worked up about that. How do you talk to that person? What's the message you bring them? Because, again, distraction, presence, sharing your own struggles, that stuff works at times. But it's not a real comfort. It's not a lasting comfort. What kind of lasting comfort can we bring to people? God gives us words in this reading that we can bring to people who are hurting like that. From verse 6, he says, But there's a voice which says, Cry out. This is in relation to that initial command. God says, Comfort, comfort my people. And now here this voice again comes. This is God speaking again. Cry out. Come on, Isaiah. Give people comfort. And Isaiah said, So what should I cry out? How am I supposed to comfort them? Here's the comfort that God tells Isaiah to give to people. It's not what we would initially sort of think of as comforting, though. All people are like grass. And all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. This is interesting, isn't it? Right? What God tells us is a message of comfort that we should bring to people, that we should cry out to people is, everybody dies. Grass withers, flowers fall, people are grass. That's heavy. But it's real. It's true. And sometimes that is the comfort that we need to bring to people. If you've got a kid who's uh, sick at home, like a couple of my kids are, that's not the comfort you're going to bring to them. Hey, well, you know what? Everybody dies. Uh, Do the distraction thing, right? Put on a TV show, give them a little chicken noodle soup. That's what they need. But let's say you've got a friend who's headed into major surgery. And he's worried that there's a chance that he does not come out of that OR alive. He tells you, I'm worried about what this is going to mean for my family. If I don't come out of there alive, who's going to provide for them? Who's going to take care of them? Who's going to watch out for them? How are they going to have what they need? That's when you talk about this kind of thing. That's when you tell them, Everybody dies. You may as well get used to the thought. 
These same verses do tell us to do so with compassion, with, with tenderness, right? God says, speak tenderly is the kind of overarching way that we're supposed to bring this message to people. But tenderness doesn't mean that we be mealy-mouthed, right? That we talk around hard truths. No, we, we're clear, we're honest, right? How could that look practically in that situation, right? You've got your friend who's worried about, how is, it, how is my family going to be taken care of? How are they going to be provided for? I'll be honest with them. Look, no, friend, it will not be the end of the world if you die. It just won't. I'll be sad. Your family will be sad. We love you. We care about you. You're important to us. But we will keep living. Life will go on. You are not the linchpin of the world of our personal worlds, right? Encourage your friend to step outside for a second and see if that's true. That that's the reality of things. Everybody dies. The grass withers, the flowers fall, the breath of the Lord blows on them. There's nothing really that you can do about it. But that's not where, and you heard it already, the comfort that we're supposed to offer ends. That is the comfort that you could offer if there's no God, ultimately. That's sort of where you'd stop. You'd just say, well, you know what? Everybody dies. Reconcile yourself with it. Get used to the thought. But Isaiah tells us, God tells us that there's more we get to say here. Grass withers. Yeah. Flowers fall. Yeah. People die. Yeah. But the word of our God endures forever. The word of our God, which endures forever, holds out promises to us. In God's word, he promises to provide for us each and every day. We think about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he tells us, look at the birds of the air. Do they stow away their food in barns? No. And yet, God feeds them. Look at the flowers of the field. Do they make themselves the fine garments that they wear? No. And yet, they're clothed. If that's what God does for birds, if that's what God does for flowers, won't he feed you? Won't he clothe you? Or Jesus' words, that's a promise that God makes. A promise that endures forever. Your friend dying, you dying, will not keep God from carrying out that promise. You are not that powerful. I am not that powerful. Not a one of us is. God will keep his promises. If your friend's a believer, push that into them. Remind them of those promises. If they're not, they'll do it this way. Right? Ask them, have you honestly always been the only person taking care of your family? Have you always been the only guarantor of their health, their wealth, their well-being? No, you have not. Don't pretend that you have and don't start thinking now that you are. It's just not true. That's not a role that any one of us plays in anyone's lives. We are never sort of the sole person upon whom someone else depends. Just aren't. And then take them into God's ultimate promise. God promises each and every day to provide for us, to give us what we need. He doesn't promise that we won't suffer hardship. He won't, doesn't promise that there won't be times where it is difficult making ends meet, where it is hard to keep a relationship together. He doesn't promise that such things won't come into our lives. What he does promise is that he's with us, that he 
indeed stepped into our world, lived a life that was difficult and full of trial, lived a life where he had no place to lay his head, where he depended on the generosity of others to provide for him. That's the life that Jesus lived walking around in this world. And so, although it's not the ultimate form of comfort that we can offer someone, Jesus can offer us the fact that he's suffered through things like us. He can share his, his trials, his troubles, his struggles with us. It's the stories that we read in the scriptures. As we hear about him wrestling with the cross, as we hear about him tempted by Satan in the wilderness, as we hear about his friends abandoning him. Yet Jesus suffered through things just like you and I suffer through. So the book of Hebrews tells us that he, he was also tempted in every way just as we are, and so he is able to help us when we're tempted. He's not remote. It's not that he's never felt the things that you and I feel in life, the difficulties in relationships, the difficulties in, in work, in family life. Jesus dealt with those things too. And so when, you're, when you bring him your problems, your, your fears, your anxieties and hurts, he doesn't look at it and say, seriously, this is what you're bringing to me? That, that's really bothering you? He's not condescending. No, he understands. He empathizes. He's lived through it. He promises that on the other side of all of it is resurrection. That's what the Apostle Peter brought to us in the second reading that we heard today. In keeping with God's promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. We're looking forward, Peter is telling us, to the end of things. Right? So maybe you bring your friend this, this word of comfort. You know, your family will be taken care of. God promises to do that. God will not stop keeping that promise just because you die. Okay, great. But your friend tells you, all right, fine, sure, but I'm afraid of death. I don't want to die. Oh, well, that's pretty reasonable, right? Except it's not. It's not reasonable to be afraid of death. Not in light of the God who stepped into this world, born at Christmas, to die on a cross and came back to life. It's not reasonable to fear death when that's the God who's with us, who watches over us, who will provide for us and protect us and encourage us, comfort us and strengthen us, with that God on our side, with a dying and rising God on our side. It's not reasonable to fear death. You don't need to. The end of this reading from Isaiah, Isaiah depicts Jesus as the shepherd. And he's picking up the little lambs, it says carrying them in his arms close to his heart. And he's leading tenderly, gently, the ones who have young, the, the nursing mothers, right? The ewe sheep with their babies. He's caring for families. That's Jesus. And those sheep are you and me. These little lambs being gathered up into his arm and treasured close to his chest. These mothers with young being led gently by him to streams of living water, he promises. How do we comfort people? We can distract, we can share, 
We can be present. All of that's good in its time. But ultimately, we comfort people by showing them the end. That the end of their personal lives, our personal lives, right, our own deaths, and the end of the world even, there's nothing to fear in the end. Death serves God's purposes. He took its fangs out when he died and rose. And God promises that he'll use death to bring you across to the world where there's no more death, no more sadness, no more pain, no more tears. None of these things that characterize our trial and troubled lives. We're looking ahead to that new heaven, that new earth where righteousness dwells. Amen. Thank you for joining us on this insightful exploration of scripture on Grace of God Sermon Cast. As we conclude today's episode, I want to extend a heartfelt thank you to our church, Grace of God Lutheran, located in Dix Hills, Long Island, for supporting and nurturing this journey of faith. Special acknowledgement goes to Pastor Timothy J. Walsh, whose dedicated leadership and commitment to sharing the transformative message of God's word continue to inspire our community. And I will see you on the next episode.